You're listening to the School of Reinvention podcast. I'm your host, Roger Osorio. I'm the author of The Journey to Reinvention, How to Build a Life Aligned with Your Values, Passion, and Purpose. I'm also the founder of The School of Reinvention, a community-based coaching platform where we help people define success on their terms and reinvent themselves to make it happen. I believe that as the years pass, our values, passions, and purpose evolve, and we must reinvent ourselves in order to stay aligned with who we really are and what matters to us. This podcast is all about exploring different journeys to reinvention so that you can learn the strategies for how to successfully launch your next reinvention. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the School of Reinvention podcast. I am your host, Roger Osorio. I'm a reinvention coach and author of the book, The Journey to Reinvention, How to Build a Life Aligned with Your Values, Passions, and Purpose. Today, I'm joined by Michael Garden, who is a three-time entrepreneur and creator of the Break Community on CareerCloud.com, where he inspires, supports, and coaches a community of 14,000-plus people to break work and break their limits in order to build purposeful lives definitely my kind of guy. In 2018, Mike decided work wasn't working for him. So he designed his break, taking his side hustle from nothing to full-time escape from corporate work, then scaling it into a million-dollar business that fuels his purpose. The framework he built is called Advantage Mapping, and it serves as a foundation for supporting his community through their own work-life explorations. Mike, thank you so much for taking time to talk to us. I mean, you and I got connected by a very dear mutual friend that we have. And man, he was spot on when he said, you two need to talk. <laughs> well, Roger, pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm fresh off of vacation. And so I'm just like ready to rock. I've got, I've got lots of energy and ideas. So happy to be here in this first week back doing your show. Awesome. Well, we've got a lot of cool topics to talk about, things that will resonate with an audience that is thinking about their own reinvention or launching it or even just plotting it for now. And I want to kick things off by, there's a story that I really want to hear from you. And it's your first move into entrepreneurship um, when you went from being a day trader or a trader to co-founder. And, you know, I just think about these moments and I think about people who are considering that very first move, like that very, very first, you know, attempt to dip their toes in some sort of entrepreneurial or creative waters. And what are the things that get us there? Can you tell us that story and go into it a little bit? Yeah, well, I think the, the meat of the story is really in the ideas and signals for like when something isn't right. And how I kind of learned that lesson in a really painful way. So I was a, you know, as a 20 year old fresh out of college, you know, you have all of these ideas of what success is, right? And success for most people is some default setting where you have to make a lot of money, get to be seen as a success to others and have some type of status or whatever. And I definitely think that mattered to me. But I also had this sort of logical thinking of like, well, I'm young, like take as much risk as possible now. And I liked, I kind of liked the market. So I went into day trading and uh, that for people who don't know what that is, I mean, it's basically legalized gambling, honestly, like you're making trade decisions, bets on the market up or down to make a profit. And that's really all that matters is your P&L. So I did this as a, as a young person and the uh, success rate is a good, you know, one in 10, one in 20 kind of a thing after six months or so, barely anybody's still there. I was good enough 
to sort of eke out a living and, and make a better living as a 20, you know, two year old than most people. But um, I wasn't by any means fantastic at this. But I had the mindset that this was my chosen path. And it got me into some really unhealthy predicaments, not with drugs or alcohol or anything like that. But I guess maybe it's the addiction to, to success or whatever. It's a very heart pounding and difficult job, a stressful job. And after five years or so, I was circumscribed to saying, like, I am going to either succeed at this over the long term, or I'm going to die in this chair. The, the idea of death was very real. It wasn't, it wasn't some platitude. Like, I had my heart pounding out of my chest. I would wake up in the middle of the night, just boom, shoot up out of bed with my heart racing and pounding and worried and anxious and not entirely sure if that if I went to bed again, I would wake up in the morning. And this would happen night after night after night. And of course, being an idiot <laughs> man in his 20s, I'm like, oh, whatever, that doesn't matter. I'm going to win. I'm going to succeed at this. And I just kept going forward. And one day, I, I, I was an avid reader in my 20s, and I was reading a book called The Art of Learning by Josh Watskin, who, if anybody doesn't know, he is the subject matter for searching for Bobby Fischer. He was a child chess prodigy and has kind of dedicated his life to, to the art of learning. And one chapter in this book is called Investment in Loss. And the idea is that in order to make a giant leap forward, you oftentimes have to go backwards. And that going backwards isn't a loss. It's not failure. It's an investment in that future you and that future direction. And I'm not kidding. I read that chapter sitting in the chair in my office and I quit my job trading the next day because that chapter just gave me permission to say, I don't have to stay on this, this one path. Like my life can be a whole bunch of different things. I've never really investigated any of them. It's clear that I can't see myself as a 40-year-old. The 40-year-old version of me is not going to make it in this world that I'm in today. So I just quit cold turkey. I took summer off. I was lucky because I didn't have any you know, expenses and kids and anything like that. And I just tried to you know, figure out what was I going to do next. And being young, I did my MBA. Eventually, I ended up co-founding a company out of that. But the real story is, what are the things that are punching in your gut, those physical feelings that tell you something's not right? And I might, maybe mine was to a, a little bit of an extreme, but I want people to give themselves permission to listen to those things in your gut because they're a signal that something's not right. And the longer you let that persist, the farther away from your ideal vision of yourself you're going to get. You're not going to get any closer to it. So you need to cut that off today and right now and start making changes on it. So that's my quick story there. Yeah, no, I love that. And I think that what you just said at the end there is, you know, sometimes I call it, I refer to it as it's a call that you need to answer to maybe do something else that is more aligned. In your case, I think it, it sounds like it was a bit of a call to get away from something that was really not aligned with you. And for others, it might show up as a call to move in another direction. You know, my version of the story is, the call to become a math teacher. And so right. nothing was necessarily wrong with what I was doing. Actually, I didn't really have any issues with my day job at the time. And I didn't feel that way. But there was a call to do something else. And, you know, 
whichever one it is, I think the key here is listening, like you said, listening to that call, listening to that feeling and, and really trusting it. I think that's the, which right. I know is easier said than done. But most of the time, uh, when we hear those, those calls to act, especially when they come from deep inside of us, they're, they're usually pretty spot on. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's so much latent intelligence in the body and in those feelings. And I think my whole arc of my entire, you know, multiple reinventions has been really a lesson and a learning of how to stop trying to use my logical brain and trust my feelings more. I think to set the direction for yourself, but like a good heading, you use your body and how you feel. And then you use your logic and your brain and, and your smarts to construct the plan and the process yeah. to get there. And yeah. so that becomes believable. And then you start believing in it more. And now you know you can do it and, and you start taking you know, very logical steps. But I think you have to be really sort of heart-centered when you set your initial heading. Mm -hmm. So how old were you when you quit? When you read that chapter and you felt the call to quit and that was a moment? How old were you? Yeah, I think I was 27. Okay. I want to say 26, 27. Yeah. Okay. So now you've, you've taken this massive act, you've quit. And at 27, what, and, and I'm setting this up on purpose because I, I want to hear what you were thinking then, because we're going to hear stories about what you're thinking today and like what your priorities are. Yeah. And I want people to see that, like this thing, how we evolve, how we grow. So I'm giving it away, like what I'm trying to do here, because I want to make <laughs> it super clear. What were you thinking then at that point in terms of like what you wanted and what your goals were? And, you know, you've taken this, you know, massive leap. What do you want now? At 27. Yeah. So at 27, it was very much, you know, running from that feeling, right? And, and just really realizing, okay, that's completely, you know, a non-negotiable. Like I can't, I can't be living that way. So at 27, it was really, I still want to succeed, meaning I still want to figure out how to make a bunch of money. <laughs> you know, that was my version, but I'm okay with, I don't need to have a job tomorrow, I had savings. So it was very much like, well, how do I go about exploring some options? And I think even while I was thinking that and being on like having that very flexible mind, I still defaulted to the default path, which is, oh, well, people who don't know what they're doing, they go to graduate school. You know, that's like a way to fill time while you, you know, reinvent yourself, right? So I, I did that. I went to graduate school in Chicago at DePaul University. I took a full class load. I graduated in like a year and a quarter or something like that. I just dove in and it was, this is 2009. So after the great financial crisis in the middle of the great financial crisis, not a lot of jobs happening, but I also had this mind and I think I got it from the investing world and, and the idea of having options I always had the idea that I need to do multiple tracks at the same time, like, like to figure out the future, which is always uncertain. When you don't know what, what is going to happen in the future, you need to have options. And then as you gain more experience or more signal on the right path, then you start to call options and you start to really just focus. But so basically school gave me the chance to, you know, meet a bunch of people, go back and kind of learn different subjects. And then I took classes in entrepreneurship. I ended up, you know, graduating and in the same week, having a business idea, going out and raising 
a million dollars for this business. And I also had an, a job offer from Deloitte Consulting, which at the time was you know, the best place to start your career, <laughs> you know, of any place in the country. Yeah. And I'm like, damn, like, what do I do? And I said, well, I mean, I'm 27 years old. Like, am I going to get another chance to do this thing? Like it, it could fail, but it could blow up. But like, am I ever going to get a chance to do it? And I thought like, I'm going to regret it if I don't. So I said no to Deloitte Consulting, best place to start your career. And I said, all right, let's go you know, try to build this business, which I had no idea about the industry. We were selling hardware and software to aerospace companies. I knew nothing about this, microelectronics and all this kind of stuff. But I was like, all right, let's go do this. Let's go give this a try. Because I still wanted that upside, right? That optionality at 27, want to make a bunch of money, right? That's success. I remember interviewing at Deloitte and interviewing the partners. I'm like, how much are you gone? And they're like, well, I, you know, I leave on Sunday, I come back on Thursday, and this guy's like 50 years old. And I'm like, I'm planning on having kids. Like, I, that, that's, you know, there's no way that's going to happen. Like, that doesn't make any sense to me from a quality of life standpoint. So that's not a viable yeah. path to success. You know, it's really interesting. And this is why I, I love that you answered this so openly, because this is, this is what a 27-year-old is wondering about, thinking about. And I think it's really interesting. So you had this really... in. in tense decision, you know, between something with lots of upside, but it's funny you say the best place to start your career, and maybe one could argue entrepreneurship, the best way to quickly end your career, <laughs> because chances are you'll <laughs> fail, right? And so you're yeah. like, let's go with the one that has the most upside, but the highest guarantee that I will probably fail right. as I do this. But that's what you felt called to do at the time. And I think it's, you know, you, you mentioned at the time you wanted the possibility of making a lot of money. And I mean, yeah, that makes sense, you know, but I also thought it was interesting that you asked those partners at Deloitte about what their home life looks like or what their normal routine looks like. And you heard this crazy story about Sunday to Thursday, you're on the road and then you right away, even though you don't have a family at this point, you're already thinking this is not going to work. And right. man, that's an interesting thought to have at 27 without the family lined up yet. Yeah. I mean... You know, I think part of it's all, everything's multifaceted, right? Like part of it is I had a very serious girlfriend at the time. Were we married yet? I can't, I'm trying to think of the year we got married. Uh, <laughs> we were. We were married. Okay. Actually. Yes. We got married in 2008. Uh, <laughs> this is 2009, 2010. So we were married. We are high school sweethearts, like through and through. So long history, knew I love kids, knew we wanted to have a family. So that, that was definitely on my mind. But it's so, I think what's so interesting and what I learned trading, right? Like is things that like we all, we just misprice uncertainty and risk all the time. It's human nature. So the best place to start your career to me looked like a really massive risk. Like it looked like a situation where I was going to get slowly sucked into the vortex, you know, I mean, just having that stamp of start your career wasn't enough. And then you go to the opposite spectrum where it's like on paper, starting a business is super risky, right? Like all the experts tell you, if this is risky, get a job, like, you know, that kind of thing. And um, I just kept thinking about it, like, where am I going to get that experience? There's got to be a way I can take whatever experience comes out of that into my next chapter, right? I hate the idea of being put in a box, like I actively fight it. And so I felt like one path was 
going down the road of being put in boxes. And the other path was sort of like more mysterious, more curiosity fulfilling. And again, I had no skills in this. I wasn't a COO. I, I wasn't a sales guy. I didn't know the industry at all, but I was like, I learned a little bit about raising money. I sort of understand this concept of asymmetric risk. Like, all right, let's go do it. <laughs> the other thing that you pointed out in your story that I thought is also really interesting is that you talked about stacking different opportunities and possibilities while you were in graduate school. And if I understood that correctly, you mean, you know, not only doing grad school and that's it, but also planting other seeds and testing other ideas and, you know, other possibilities. And I think that's really insightful and that's really interesting. And I'd love to just kind of explore this a little bit because a lot of times when people make the decision or they're thinking about the decision to go back to grad school, it's as if that is like it, that is all I will do. And, or, you know, I go, or I stay on the path that I'm on, you know, at the job I'm working or whatever it might be. And there's no like middle option where you can say, well, I could work on my graduate degree and work on a few other things while I'm doing that. And that's what I heard you say. And, and I, that really connects with me because I did something similar. Crazy enough, like now that I'm hearing the years, because this is the first time you break <laughs> down the years, you and I were yeah. doing the, almost the exact same thing at the exact same time in neighboring states. You were in Chicago, I was in Missouri. And I'm right. going through the same journey. I quit my job in mid-2008. I went back to grad school, which started January of 2009. And that's, you know, and I got onto a two-year journey. So I'm just realizing that, wow, you were literally doing the same thing, <laughs> a state away, a four or five-hour drive away from where I was. We were like, you know, on a similar path. And while that's not the wife that I'm still married to, I was married to my first wife <laughs> at that time. So I was like twinning with you. That's but, funny. Yeah. But I was doing the same thing. I tested out so many other things while I was in graduate school. In fact, I almost felt like it was, I don't know if I not easier, but easier in the sense that I was in a zone, like when you're like learning, your mind is open and it's just like, let's try yeah. stuff. Let's do this and let's do this. Yeah. Now, that doesn't mean you have to do that. You could also say, I'm focused, I'm busy. I have no time to read other books. I have no time to test out other things. And I just thought my mind is like wide open. Like I want to test a lot of things and learn as much as I can. Yeah, it's interesting. I think like when you're trying to figure out something with the next step, a reinvention, you're doing multiple things at one time, which is very difficult. Like it's hard. And everybody that has a job and is thinking of doing something else knows this job, family. And now I got to have another job by like trying to figure all, out all my stuff. But like when you are in that open zone of just absorbing and learning and thinking and ideating. And it's a, it's an energetic place to be. And so I was in that place because I didn't have any of those responsibilities. Looking back now, what I realized in, in stringing a, a, you know, a rope through a lot of my other experiences is you need a very flexible brain because you need one side of your brain to be able to diverge and create options for yourself, ideate and think and, get a lot of your synapses going. And then at, at some point in time, you got to stop that. And you got to start converging on very high odds opportunities. I think the people that are best at this are, are the ones who have learned to flex in and out of this, this state where I can go from ideation to convergence on an idea and focus and go that, in that direction until something tells me to stop. Mm. And there, you know, there's a lot of corollaries to exploration, 
ancient wayfinders from Polynesia and, you know, how they like mapped out the Pacific. And it's this complete rejection of linear paths and linear thinking and more of a signal acquisition. Well, how do you, how do you get signal that you're on a right path or on a wrong path? The polarization aspect of it. And people that can start to do that have much higher odds of succeeding because they're willing to try. They're willing, they, they know that every action they take is a, is an experiment. It's designed not to get to the right answer. It's designed to let them know if they should keep going or not. And that's a big distinction. So I think tracing it back, like that experience of, you know, the world is my oyster again. I get to kind of start over. I get to absorb this knowledge. I get to make a bunch of connections. I get to meet people in Chicago and in different industries. I took advantage of it all. And because of that, I wasn't waiting for one company to, in the middle of a recession, to select me. I was creating a, what I would call today a portfolio of options for how I can go forward. And, you know, that, that happened to be two at the time. I love that. I think there are a couple of things I wanted to unpack there. So there was something you said that I think is really interesting because it's something that I think the audience can take away and put into practice right away. And it's this idea of what the mission of an experiment is. Now, you said it's not in, to prove that you're doing something the right way, but rather it's, you said, to whether you should do something or continue to do something. Did I? Right. Did I, right. That? I said it. Yeah. It, when you're in, a, in an experimental mindset, it's not about finding the right answer. It's about gaining the you know, knowledge or insight that you are continuing to be on the right path yeah. or need to be in a different path. Yeah. That's so, the essence that of an experiment. So when you think about entrepreneurs and somebody building a business from an idea, that's the exploration path that they're on. The MVP, right? They go build, they go build a little minimum viable product. They test it out in the world. They're not looking for middle of the road feedback. What they're they're designing it, and this is how this is where human centered design comes in too. They are designing it for a polarized reaction. They want a hell yes or a hell no, because that's more valuable than the muddy middle. And so you can do this in your own. That's how you know you know you, you just constantly course correct. And so getting out an experiment can be a conversation. It can be a mock-up, it can be a mock interview, it can be a shadowing somebody, it yeah. can be all sorts of things, right? But the focus comes from the next step and getting and what you need to know to continue on your path versus I need to make one decision today and that has to give me the right answer for, you know, next year or two years from now version of me. Like People who are plagued by the anxiety of uncertainty uh, want to leap to that answer right away. And the actual antidote is this experimental approach. Mm -hmm. It's funny. I wrote this into my thinking too. When I was marathon training for the first time, I got through my first four-hour run. And I, you know, this is just natural to me for some reason. I got through my first four-hour run not by thinking, oh, I got six miles to go or 20 miles to go or whatever. I would look at the ground in front of me and say, get to the next crack on the sidewalk. And I did that over and over and over for four mm -hmm. hours and I got through it. And I think that's a, 
kind of an analogy for this. It's like, you just have to continue to focus on getting really good at understanding what is going to give you valuable information that you're yeah. on the right path or, or need to change. And the reason why I think this is such an important idea, I remember someone once asked me, I think it was on a podcast, they commented, I think, on my ability to handle failure well. Because if you're running a lot of experiments, you know, they're like, naturally, many will fail and some will succeed. And then it, it hit me in that moment. I'm not sure that I was counting my experiments or measuring them by failure and success. Because the experiment wasn't meant to be the thing. Like, that was meant to be a test. To your point, to determine if I need to keep moving in this direction or not, or if I need to course correct. So I said, for me, every experiment is measured by learning. Did I learn something? Right. Did I walk away with an insight? And, you know, for me, that is so liberating. That is so empowering because it makes it way less scary to test an idea because the mission is not to, you know, hit it big on the first try. No, I'm not going to hit it big on the first try. I know that. In fact, I designed the experiment in such a way where even if I did hit it big, big would still be pretty small and it would not be that right. exciting. Right. But what I really want is that direction. And, and I love how you put it. You want either a hell yes or a hell no. And I think that's really important. You were giving some examples and I'll toss one in. This past Christmas holiday, I tested an idea for a workshop. And when I tested it or when my team and I sat together and we came up with this idea, I said, I want to test it out between Christmas and New Year's. And everyone said, well, the downside is that, like, it's going to be tough. Like no one's really available and all that. I go, exactly. But if people still show up, to me, that's, right. a, hell, that's a hell yeah. If during yeah, like the yeah. worst time to host an experimental webinar with five or six days notice, you know, like would be that time. Like if I get like a handful of people to show up and hang out with me for that many hours during that time, I think that's a, that's a pretty good indication that we're on to something. And so I thought, let's see if the hell yeah comes out. And a hell yeah came out. And now we're actually tomorrow. I have the next iteration of that experiment that I'm running. So it could be something like that. It could be putting it in a situation where a hell yeah doesn't have to be even like a thousand people sign up to your thing. It might be that, wow, five crazy humans who, you know, normally would have shut everything down and not been available for anything. were so compelled to want to be a part of this thing and hung out with you for an hour and a half extra than what you promised. Cause I said 90 minutes and it took three hours to deliver the outcome. <laughs> and I was like, my bad. Sorry about that. They were like, no, it's fine. We'll stay on. I was like, all right, cool. And I kept saying 30 more minutes, 30 more minutes. I said that three times, <laughs> but we made it to the end, luckily. Okay. So I love these examples and these stories and what you've shared there. Let's talk a little bit about what you're currently doing and that reinvention. And, and in particular, I really want to hear parts about the story going from zero to one. Like, how do you take an idea from concept to creation? Yeah. So I think this reinvention is sort of, it's important to understand a little bit of the backstory as well. Uh, we're skipping kind of some of the middle, which puts me in a place in, you know, 2017, 18, where I am in a corporate role. I am doing innovation consulting inside a Fortune 500 company, trying to build new products and services for an insurance company. Really, really riveting stuff. The idea going in there was I have a family now. <laughs> I have three kids. And I was kind of looking for an interim step of what I could do in the middle of, um, you know, in the next chapter, basically. And I said, I've never really worked in a big company. That'd be a good idea. Get some skills and learning. I'm going to give this, you know, three years max. And the idea was I'm either going to spin out and build one of these companies that are in here, or I'm going to end up doing my own thing. 
doing some really cool work, customer discovery. I'm learning human-centered design from companies like IDEO, who you know invented the Apple mouse and are great product and service designers, and uh, doing some really cool stuff. And then the bureaucracy would take over, and all of our work and our momentum would just get ground to a halt while we were creating pitch decks after pitch deck after pitch deck, trying to pitch the project you know, internally, who's going to own this, who's going to, you know, budget this, all this kind of stuff. And that was just soul sucking. And I'm like, all right, I feel like I learned what I could. I don't think I have hope to spin a company out of here anymore. I need to start figuring out what my next move is. I'm too fidgety. I can't sit in or deal with this bureaucracy. So what does it look like to design my life? So I'm in my 30s, maybe I'm 35 five, let's say ish, something like that, I guess 37, maybe I have this extraordinary opportunity where I have a job, I'm getting paid. How can I use that to finance my exploration of my next chapter? And this is where I'm bringing in, like, when we do things like this, we have to do multiple things at the same time. And, and it's difficult. So I think the first step for anybody who, who is trying to make a reinvention on purpose is you have to gain space. You have to gain space to be able to think and experiment and play with your future options. And so you can do this in a number of ways, like directly at work or you know at home with family. And I, I kind of did both. I said, all right, I've got three kids, but Stephanie, Stephanie's my wife. Hey, like, I really need to make this change. I need space. I, I need to take two hours on a Saturday or Sunday morning, I'll get up early, but like I need two focused hours out of the house to work on this, right? And work on this means I was starting from zero, just what what do I want? What do I want? So that, and then at work. And actually I, I was quoted in the Wall Street Journal recently about this topic of just being left alone at work. Like how do you just be left alone at work? And and it's it's to just do your, do good work but also, like, if you want to do something else, how do you how do you get a little uh, separation? So I really started getting out of the office. This was pre-COVID. I was out of the office. I was doing things like saying, here's, you know, blocking my calendar. Here's my time availability. I was really pushing back on meetings. Like, we would have, like any corporation, really useless meetings, 14 people in the room and, you know, nobody really adding value. And I, I just came up with, like, things I would pitch my boss. I'm like, hey here's what my time is worth. Like this is what I basically get paid on an hourly. I'm probably going to say five words in this meeting. Do I really need to be here? Or would you like me to do that? You know, like very logical arguments you can make to push back on crappy meetings that put it in the best interest of the company, but also have the advantage of protecting your time. And maybe people think that maybe I'm bold for that kind of thing. People are scared to do a lot of that stuff because we all know work isn't just about the work. It's about all the other politics and stuff and how right. you're perceived, right? But when you know that you're not in the right situation, mm -hmm. you don't have as much to lose. You're a little bit more free and liberated. So you don't have to be a dick about any of this stuff, but you can craft really good messages that protect your time. And so I use a lot of company time working on this, right? Yeah. So, so that's like... I, I can maybe stop there if you have anything to add. <laughs> There's more to the story, obviously, yeah. but that I feel like is step one. Yeah. And, I mean, I think that is super insightful because, again, a lot of times people think in terms of 
and and I've been there too, where I thought I need to leave in order to start, right? I need to right. quit one thing to begin another. And here you are thinking, how can I leverage, you're asking a better question. How can I leverage what I have now, this situation that I'm in now, in order to begin creating the next chapter, begin writing the next chapter of my life? And, you know, I, I, I did something similar at IBM where I thought to myself, and, and, I, and I found a slightly different approach. And it was probably by the nature of the company because IBM is so big. Um, at the time, it was like 400,000 people. I could actually run my side hustle inside of IBM and right. test it with internal clients on the side, not mentioning anything to anyone on my team. And that allowed me to, you know, develop a lot of important experiences that I needed, skills, and test out a lot of material and a lot of ideas that later I could do something with. And so it was my way of planting those seeds and testing some ideas out. And while building a runway, because the moment I knew right. that this is what I want to do, I set a target. I go, I want to have this much. And then I calculate saved up for a runway. And this is how long it'll take me, at least just based on what I knew at that moment. And I just began putting that away. And, you know, I hit those targets. And then I knew, cool, I've got that. So again, I, I eventually, like in that my latest, you know, reinvention, I did that same thing that you did. And I, I, I asked myself that better question rather than thinking I have to leave one thing to start another. Yeah, I, I'm a huge fan of killing two birds with one stone. So I love your example because it was like, oh my God, I, I'm at work and I'm working on my, my other thing. I think that's the absolute best way to do it. Um, that makes a ton of sense. So like once you have space to begin thinking about what you're going to do and how you're going to do it, to me, it's just a massive risk management exercise after that. So one, one of them is obviously like, keep your job. Like it's your, it's your runway. Use your job to finance the investment that you're putting in on the other side to get where you want to go. That makes all the sense in the world to me. So you got to do a little life engineering, you know, to make that happen. Like, like we talked about, but then it was like at 35 now, I've done a bunch of different things. Like, who am I? What am I actually good at? Where is my zone of genius? What to get fulfillment out of life? What is fulfillment? What do I want? What do I not want? You know, I was going through uh, grappling with all of these types of things. Like I have an opportunity to design my life because I got a huge runway. I don't need to leave my job. I don't like it, but I don't need to leave right now. I got this huge runway. So I didn't have a great like framework for how to do this. So, but I, I'm a student of investors. I've studied the greatest investors, you know, out there. I'm a student of entrepreneurship. I've studied a lot of entrepreneurs and both of these groups of people have amazing frameworks for making decisions under uncertainty. And I just realized that the only thing that's holding me back is how I deal with and move through uncertainty. So I need to put a bunch of things in place that are like checking off the boxes that say, this still isn't crazy right? Like I, I have mitigation strategies for all of these different things. If you want to switch, you know, change this, this subject at all, like, let me know. But, but, I, but I ran across this subject of circle of competence from Warren Buffett. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, shit, I don't know what my circle of competence is really. Yeah. Like I'm going to do a bunch of things, mediocre. I'm kind of a utility player. And I was like, that's not, that's not quite complete, right? It's not about our competence. There's a whole bunch of ways that we can create advantage, in our lives and, and use that you know, and, and leverage that advantage towards a different future. And so I started thinking about that. 
And I kind of came up with eight areas of advantage and I applied to myself and I got feedback and I asked about, it and I really, I, I started journaling about, and I developed this picture of myself that, you know, I wasn't really paying attention to a lot of things that were just beneath the surface. That was the seeds of this advantage mapping program that I've created. And now I use with clients. I, I did it for myself. And once I had that idea of who I really was, or at least where I create value and that I enjoy and I can sustain, those are parts of advantage, right? Then I could kind of say like, all right, well, what do I want? What do I not want? And I, I, think, you, I think it's, you always, almost always should start with what do you not want? Because again, going back to that polarization, right? Like we have a very visceral reaction to stuff we don't want. And I think that helps inform what we do want. What we do want is a very abstract question. But when I went through that, I started saying, okay, well, like, where's my lot in life right now? My wife's a doctor. Her work comes first. How do I design a life that gets me creative output, right? That gets me fulfilled, but I can still be the, the backup guy. I can be the guy taking the kids to school. I can be the guy that the school calls when a kid's sick. I don't travel. I'm not traveling all over the place. I don't, I'm not raising you know, venture money. I don't want to do any of that anymore. And so I really started taking it on as a, as a design exercise. Once I did that and got a clear picture of, you know, what, what was success to me, right? Which was, I want to work for myself. I want a small team. I don't want a big team. I want us to be brothers and sisters. And I want to have this ultimate flexibility. Now I have a bunch of constraints, which help me focus and converge around ideas that I could possibly do, right? And um, I went back, I had experience in internet and content marketing. And so I just kind of started there. And I said, how do I go do, I, I had some previous um, startup experience where we uh, created kind of a mini conglomerate of, of websites. We sold that to private equity previous to what I was doing in corporate. And I said, how do I do that for myself? That sounds like a pretty good deal. How do I just do that for myself? And so I kind of created mini experiments where I went out and purchased digital business assets, like a little portfolio of them that I could run on an advertising model that I sort of knew how to do. But I didn't start with one because you, you don't know. You don't know if that one's going to work. So I, I kind of ran a portfolio. That's how I think. And so I had a little portfolio of options. And then I said, all right, well, that's just a side hustle. I got it making a little bit of money, but it wasn't enough. Risk management. How do I bridge that gap? How do I make money, continue to fuel this thing, and then just be free of my corporate job? The answer came with, you know, it just it's really finding a funding source. So I don't want to remember constraints. I don't want to raise venture capital or outside money. I know I don't want to be in a consulting client, you know, model where I'm really churning through clients. Those are two big things that I said absolutely not to. But if I had one really big client that was perfect and I could do a whole bunch of work for, solve a really big problem, build a team under me that solves their problem and essentially solves my problems, that would work. And so that's what I ended up doing. It took a year. I pursued a bunch of different clients, got one big client, they eventually bought, you know, Money Magazine, and um, I did a whole bunch of uh, building marketing teams for them, building content for them, 
And while I was doing that, they needed somebody outside that could run faster than they could internally. And while I was doing that, I was using our same team that I was building on my team to help grow and build the infrastructure for the portfolio. And I think I've always been good at thinking ahead. Like change is inevitable. Change is always coming. So you have to prepare for the end. Nothing lasts forever. I knew there would be a day where I wasn't going to have this client anymore. So I was in a massive like hunt to always get the portfolio side of the business to a level that I didn't, where I didn't need a client anymore. And so that, that time eventually came and we were ready and we were, you know, mutual, you know, let go, but, you know, mutual transition, have very good relationships with that company, but it was time and didn't miss a beat, turned right around and our other, other side of our business was humming, didn't have to lay anybody off, you know, that type of thing. And been so been running ever since. And so now, because I pursued that portfolio approach, something happened that I didn't expect at all. And that's where I really found, stumbled into, somewhat engineered, somewhat stumbled into just, you know, by serendipity or the upside of uncertainty, we could call it, really have stumbled into my passion, which is, and purpose, which is helping career people make transitions, learn how to make better decisions under uncertainty, feel unbreakable, feel more confident in what they're pursuing. And that has come through one of my portfolio sites. I I, I bought a career site that had a podcast. I got it making money. I developed a love for this topic and how personal development wraps into career. And this idea of the future of work being not just worker bees, but people who flex in and out of situations where they are a, you know, a consultant or they're an entrepreneur and then they go work for a company and it's going to be so much more flexible and adaptive in the future. And I find it fascinating. And, and then I tied it back to what is the biggest lesson I need to teach my kids? I have three boys and it always comes back to, I need to teach them how to deal with uncertainty because change is just constantly coming at us. And I see so many people paralyzed by it. And I see so many people that could do amazing things, but can't take a step. And so that is like at my heart where I've been able to pull in family, work, passion, coaching. And I know that I'm on the right direction long-term. Like I know that I'm on the right direction. I don't think that happens by plan. That happens by getting out in the marketplace, moving and shaking, pursuing your interests and doing things, being willing to fail at some things. And then all of a sudden things coalesce and and you, you hit this spot where you just feel in your heart, you know, you're on the path that you're supposed to be. Now I'm I'm at the end. I'm not the goal yet, but I know I'm on that path and I just need to keep experimenting and adjusting and being flexible and I'll get there. You know, one thing that really stood out that I feel like put you on this path was a question that you asked yourself. So it was another question I picked up on and it was around the constraints and it was related to constraints. It was around like, how do I do this without having to travel, getting to be the backup guy at home? I could take the kids to school. I can do all of these things. And I think that is so critical to having allowed you to create the type of path that you did because you set those constraints. A lot of times it seems that if we had less constraints, we could do more. If I quit my job, 
I would have right. all the time in the world to work on my ideas. And then you quit your job and find out that you're not working on any ideas, right? right? You're just waking up, kind of wandering around, not really sure what to do. And then the day is over. And those constraints are what really help us to be more innovative. And, you know, I mean, you, you obviously know this, you know, because this is what you consulted on and taught. But in this situation, wow, like this is such a powerful way to apply it to your own life. And, and this is another area where you and I, you know, definitely sync up and overlap here because, you know, it was in the last few years that I started asking better questions like that, rather than starting with like just isolating the one thing, business success, and then figuring out, okay, how do I layer family on top of that or something else that I want? I started with, what can I do? How can I do something differently so that I could spend more time with my baby, you know, and, and what does that mean? Like, what does that look like? And it got me thinking about different ideas, different things that would not have been on my radar or were not on my radar a few years before that. And I thought, oh, wow, I never would have thought this if I didn't ask a better question. And so I think the key here is, you know, asking this better question, putting the constraints in there, but by constraints, not in a negative way, the things that matter to you which is perfect mm -hmm. because I wanted to ask you, and I'd love to allow shift the conversation to talking about family values, your goals, your values, your family goals, your family life, and how that is integrated into everything you do. And I think you just gave us like, you know, the, you kind of started that conversation by saying you asked that question right at the beginning. And I mean, for me, that was like, whoa, that's how you integrate it. But tell us more about your family life, because I know in past conversations and the audience doesn't know this yet, but you have pictures of your three kids behind you and you often point to them in conversations. Somehow it comes up. Well, you know, my reason, boom, boom, boom. And then yeah. you go and point that yeah. out. And, and I love that because it becomes so clear that, wow, this is so important and such an important and critical part of your success, it sounds like. So I'd love to just have you expand on that. And then, you know, we can go back and forth. Yeah. So I'll start in... 2014, 15, where I was working in a content marketing startup, flying out to Seattle. I had two young kids at the time. And I would have thoughts like, first of all, I, I love kids. I'm the second oldest of like 30 cousins, I got massive family. Like I've always loved kids, but I would get in these modes where I was like, gosh, these kids are really kind of dragging me down. Like I was really type A, right? Like, man, you know, like I, I don't have enough time, you know, they're, they're sucking my time. They don't sleep well. I can't work. What if I could just, just work? And that, you know, sort of permeated a little bit into the, the corporate consulting role as well. And then when this was happening, it's like, okay, corporate's not for me. This isn't going to work. Now, this is a couple times that I've cycled through this, right? Like I need to really be intentional about what success is for me. And what are my priorities, right? And I, I have pages and pages of journal notes, like from this time period on this. And it was like, what's the ultimate version of success? To me, it's balance, integrated balance between, you know, creativity and work, family, relationships, health, basically, like those things. How do I get that? I think it's sort of like, you know, it's a point of pride. Like it's the ultimate flex for me to be like, yeah, I'm the dad that brings kids to school, you know, like. And I have fun and, I, and I'm doing well. Like that's a kind of a, you know, a source of pride for me. But when I really started to think about like the conversations in my head shifted from how do I be a success to how do I help them be a success? Like I really started thinking about what are my models 
that need to go to them so that they're okay. Knowing what I know, being through what I've been through, and what are the types of just day-to-day interactions? Like, do I want to be home and answering Slack messages and phone calls? And like, no, I've never, like, that makes no sense to me. I want to be at every single one of their baseball games and basketball games and all that kind of stuff, right? Like, that's what I want. I want to be able to have them in the middle of summer burst into my home office and just start jamming on like something on our, on our whiteboard over here. So those are like, I I just, I close my eyes and I think about like, what are the feelings that I want? What are the experiences that I want? And that's just way more important to me than anything else. So then taking that, looking at the other side, well, how do I create more time and space for that? Right? Like we're just constantly like, we only have so much time and energy. So we have to use it like Tetris blocks and shift it around. Well, I need to take it out of travel. Like, let's take travel off the board. You know, I traveled and it was a nightmare when I had kids because my wife has to work and it sucked. Take that off the board. Let's take all the, like, what other stressors can I take off the board and get really focused on my priorities? And for me, they especially, but like my entire family happens to be like number one. So that means like, and and I, I still need this feeling of creativity and being of use. So how do I do that? Like, how do I engineer that whole thing? Like, that's what was in my head. And I really went from being type A control work to how can I do those things with, with less, with needing less, with producing less. And I really started to think about like how all that extra stuff just adds layers of stress to my life that I can just wholesale remove right? Like working with raising money is just a whole nother level of stress. I'm just taking it off the table. I don't want to do that ever again. Boom, gone. Travel, gone. Not a hierarchy business, gone. Let's use remote worker. Okay. Like, and you just start thinking and putting all of these things together. And it's like, it takes a lot of work, but you can engineer the situation for you. You have to be really clear on what that success is to you. It's not like success is, if you don't explicitly state that, somebody else is going to state it for you, right? Somebody else is going to tell you, well, you know what you should think success is? You should think success is going after this new VP role, right? Because then you'll make a hundred thousand more dollars, but guess what? You're going to work 20 hours more a week. And I'm also going to expect that you take my, you know, emergency calls from the CEO and Those are all hidden risks that you can get away from if you are really intentional on the front end about what you want. I love that. There's so many things to love about this, but I I especially love how you're going back to something you said way at the beginning. And it was around, you know, first start with your feelings, like what you really feel, what you really want, you know, not thinking about it so logically. And then once you know that, then apply the logic to figure out how to get it. Right. And I, and I feel like I, that's exactly what I just heard. So, you, you know, you're so on brand, yeah. by the way. Um, <laughs> you, you, you led with these feelings and moments that you wanted with your kids. You know, you talked about them just like busting into your home office on a summer day and just saying, let's like, you know, do something on this whiteboard and play around. You want that moment. And so that's the feeling. That's the want. And then you went and said, okay, now let's apply logic to figure out how do I build that? How do I create that? I got it. Let's remove 
fundraising. Let's remove the travel. Let's, you know, now you start playing Tetris to figure out, okay, like how do I make these pieces fit better to get what I want, to get that feeling I want. And that's so insightful and so powerful (laughs) because we're not always approaching it that way. You know, we're isolating these things. What do I want with my family? What do I want with work and all of these things? But you, you pull them all together because let's face it, it's the same 24 hours. All of this stuff is supposed to happen in the same 24 hours. So they are going to like run up against each other anyway. So you, you kind of go with that from the beginning, but you still apply logic. You still manage uncertainty and risks and you mitigate those things to figure it out. And so let's move to a question that I wanted to ask you about, because this is, you know, key phrase in a lot of your work and your website, going from uncertainty to unbreakable. And I feel yeah. like a lot of these stories are working us up to that. Tell me what you mean by that and kind of like walk us through going from uncertainty to unbreakable. So I grew up in a very fiscally conservative household, never took a lot of risks, you know, very, very great, well off, successful by any, you know, lots of metrics. But I always felt sort of came from a place of, you know, of fear rather than like, abundance, I guess, maybe is the word. So I kind of have that. And I've definitely never considered myself like a a risk taker. But I've always been thinking in my brain, like, how do I like, how do I get myself who has all of these feelings and pre wirings to take more risk? I think, can you do that? Right? Like, that's really interesting to me. And obviously, I have I have taken risks. Nothing crazy, wild. I wouldn't. I don't think, but very lot, you know, logical and reasoned. And anyway, so I have that. And then I I just I sort of look at society. I look at especially through like a parent's lens right now, and I just see so many people who are paralyzed by risk. Risk uncertainty. I, I kind of use interchangeably. Like you know, you have the helicopter parents. You have you know, uh, wash your hands all the time, time. like just whatever it might be, right? And you can, people can think I'm crazy, but like, there's so much coddling. And that is making our kids fragile. And it's making our adults fragile. Like we, this linear path, and this idea of optimizing for some outcome, optimization leaves you very vulnerable to change. Because if you are wrong about what you're optimizing for, there's many, 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 many points of failure. Mm -hmm. So I look at the future and I'm like, change is coming, change is speeding up, you know, AI, whatever, right? Like whole industries come and go in, in the blink of an eye, it seems like, right? I look at my kids and I'm like, there's gotta be a way to teach people to have a more comfortable relationship with uncertainty because literally everything is uncertain. We can't predict the future. We can't predict what's going to happen. So if we're going to succeed and we're going to stay in the game long enough for us to have a success or find that spark or whatever, like we have to be able to deal with this stuff. So, and I just feel like where my intersection is with my, with my trading background, with, with working in entrepreneurship and building businesses, having failures and it, and with my work in human centered design i think both all three of those disciplines offer us so much to learn from about making decisions under uncertainty and not knowing the answer but making a series of decisions or calculations 
that in some total get us to some sort of success. You know, like the smartest money managers around don't put their whole fund in one stock. Why is that? If they're the smartest people and they know the answer, why wouldn't they risk, you know, $100 billion on, on one stock or on one bet? Well, it's because it turns out like they actually have a very healthy paranoid view that they could be wrong. And they're very, very good, some of the best in the world at changing their minds. And I think there's a lot to be learned from people like that and applying that in our own lives so that we can develop a more flexible model of the world and how we interact with it. Because the days of, I make one decision at 18, that mm-hmm. sets me on the course of my life. And even if I don't like where I'm at, I can't change it or I have too much at risk because I've been in it so long and I've developed these relationships and I have these credentials and all this kind of stuff. That's all sunk costs. Mm-hmm. You can start to take actions now at 35, 40 in service of your 55, 60 year old self. And you don't have to blame your 18 year old self for setting you on this course, nor do you have to keep doing it just because you made that your 18 year old self makes the, made that decision. Yeah. So I've just gotten fascinated with this idea of how do we get better at handling these situations? And I think it's a combination of mindset and mental engineering. And then also there are some like just really, they're just tactics, risk management tactics. The idea of having options before you need them, right? Yep. The classic example of somebody blindsided by being let go at, at work, right? And they're completely blindsided and they haven't been nurturing their network. And they haven't been out there, you know, with kind of like leads in the water. Like that, I feel really bad for that person. But I also look at the situation and I'm like, if that person had just thought, you know what, there's a possibility here that I get fired. Even though I think I'm great, all my colleagues think I'm great, there's still a possibility of things out of my control. I could get fired. What steps would I take if I really thought about that possibility? And that's what I'm talking about. Like, it's just partly being prepared and being open to the idea that bad things can happen. Mm -hmm. And that's just life. It's not anything to do with you. It's just what happens. Then we can be a lot more flexible, a lot more adaptive, a lot more resilient. You know, by the way, those three qualities are on the list of, you know, top skills for the future from the World Economic Forum. Why is that? Because they recognize the world's changing. And we need people who can, in the corporate domain even, not, not, yeah. not even talking about reinvention, in the corporate domain, we need people that can be flexible, adaptive, and resilient. So it's, a, it's just a, it's a thing I'm on, and it's where my curiosity is leading right now. And I think the opposite of being like fragile is this idea of being unbreakable. You have this foundation that you know is rock solid. It might not be perfect. You will experience down periods and loss and failure, but you have faith in your foundation and the strategies to come back faster, come back better, update your learning through that experience, and have it fuel you for positivity rather than focusing on, you know, the loss aspect of it. You know, so it's a lot of psychology and and all that kind of stuff as well. You know, the, the biggest takeaway for me from this is, and this connects back to something you said earlier, but the idea of flexibility, 
in our paths. You know, it's, I mean, we could look at it as, all right, I chose this major when I was 18 or 19, and now I'm stuck on this path forever. Not really. I mean, you don't have to be, but that's a choice. You can, to your point, be flexible and then make a decision, make a change. Maybe the times change, maybe, you know, the markets change, whatever it is. Maybe your interests change, your passions change, and and you can make those changes. And Obviously, you know, you and I get that, you know, we, we've gotten on our respective journeys to reinvention and, and we practice this idea of flexibility in, in these moments. And so I think that's a really key idea for anybody listening to really think about what's something that you're being inflexible on right now, where you're holding a little too firmly, a little too rigid and, and could stand to use a little bit of flexibility in order to create more opportunities and perhaps get you into better alignment with who you are, what matters to you and the things you want to do. And then this other idea you talked about, which I, I want to lift up as well, is you mentioned earlier, zooming in and zooming out. So I feel like for me, that's yeah. a flexibility too. That's a flexibility of mindset. Right. Like I can view my life zoomed in, zoomed out, and I can go back right. and forth as needed on the same day. I could zoom in and zoom out just so I can look at both perspectives. And so, you know, zooming in and zooming out, you know, preparing for moments. You know, to your point, everything could be rock and rolling at work. But then again, there's always a possibility that something could go wrong and taking some steps and some measures to figure out, like, how can you create some of the foundations or some of these, you know, I don't know if safety net is necessarily the right word if it applies to everything, but how can you create some guarantees and some certainties? There we go. That's the word I was looking for. How can you create some certainties in your life that can help you manage some of the uncertainties? Because what is certain is that you can save money. That's certain. That's something right. that's within your control. Whether you get laid right. off or not, that's not within your control. So that naturally will always be an uncertainty, something that I have no control over as well. And so I'm, what I'm hearing here is there's an opportunity for us to be prepared for uncertainty by looking at what we can control. What are those things that we can do? Whatever that practice might be. And it could be something like, I don't want to travel anymore. I don't want to raise capital anymore. Because I want to be home to be, you know, if I have to be the backup dad and I have to be the backup person, the backup guy, as you mentioned, and go pick up the kids from school and go do all these things. I want to be able to do that. When I hear that story and I hear what you just said, I'm like, ah, he was building (laughs) flexibility. He was designing for flexibility. He was actually figuring out how to handle an uncertainty like something going wrong, having to pick up a kid from school because they got sick. And he's working that into his life and his other goals so that it's all in there and he can live that flexible but also balanced life that integrates all the things that matter to you like it's all really coming together now that you talked about and that's why i (laughs) saved this i had a feeling that if you touch on this topic at the end it's all (laughs) going to come together everything you said is now fitting falling into place but i do want to talk about one last thing because this was so cool so you had me on your podcast a few weeks ago and I, i appreciate that you invited me to be on And you took an extra step to show, like you appreciated me being on by sending me something really cool. You sent me a quote book, which hasn't arrived yet. I know it's on its way. I wish I had it in my hand, but you have it in your hand. So you'll pull it up in a moment. So (laughs) you and your family took it upon yourself. Like you you guys had an idea for a project and you created a product. And so I'm not going to talk about it because I want you to talk about it. I want you to tell that story that's on that video because I love that story. I love, by the way, I love all the little notes falling on you and all of that. (laughs) And you and your family built a product that you now sell. And 
I was so inspired. And it's the product that you're sending me. And I, and I told right away when I read that email, and then I went to the website, my wife, when she works from home, she sits like right there, my hand is pointing. And I said, babe, get over here, check this out. <laughs> and I didn't even want to explain it to her. I go, no, I want you to watch the video and read the copy on this site. This is so cool. We should do this with our families. People are wondering, what the heck is Roger talking about? Tell us <laughs> about the quote book. Okay. So the quote book is, is right here. I'll just show it to you. I'll explain what it is and then uh, the story behind it. So it's just a journal for you and a friend, you and a spouse, you and a family to write down the really small but memorable quotes that happen in the course of your normal life. Ours is almost completely comedy because I have three boys and my wife and I love to joke around. It doesn't have to be that. We have some, some sentimental things, but the idea is that you have a record of, um, of the little moments and you can look back and sort of measure backwards, you know, the happy times. And it comes from, you know, to that, this is, this is the whole logical brain feeling thing as well. So my wife and I started doing this practice when she was in medical school. We were living in Chicago. We just did it in a notebook. She said something really funny, and it inspired me to start writing quotes down between her and I. Now that we have kids, you know, we continue it. My youngest is easily the most quoted kid. He's just a riot. But so we started in 2006. 2020 comes along. I've got, you know, we have COVID lockdowns. Kids are at home, e-learning. And I'm sitting there going, like, we should just do something as a family so I can teach my kids about, I've never done a physical product before, but I can teach my kids about investment, how you do something, how you design it, you know, have them put input into it. We can just make it. And this is a way to spread a little bit of joy and love in a time where you know, it's, it's really difficult. Plus, I'm thinking back and I'm thinking about time, time going by. And I'm like, I've had this idea. I've thought about making this into a product since 2006 and I've never done anything with it because my logical brain was always like, it's probably too small of an idea for me to work on. I don't know if I can really make a lot of money doing that. Forget that, right? It's me. This product is me. It's this product is our family. How do we make it a version of us so that even if it's a utter failure, we still make something good out of it or we still learn something, right? It's almost designing it as a failure, but realizing how it could be good anyway. So the kids helped me design it. They helped me sell it. We sell it on online. It's on Amazon. It's on our website. It's on Etsy. And I've done a little bit through retail and things like that. And um, I'm proud of it because it's just us. Like it's a very authentic thing, something that we do. I think it's a way to spread joy and happiness and have people and especially families with kids, you know, look back and remember those things. We we read from it at night, putting the kids to bed, just remember some of these, you know, really funny things. And it, it's great because you can just teleport yourself back to right when that, you know, that thing was said. So it's it's just been a great thing. I give them away to the podcast guests or, you know, clients, or I even keep some in my car. And if I'm at a coffee shop working and I see you know, a mom with some young kids, I just say, Hey, you know, my family did this. I've got three boys and I just give it away. So, but it's been great and they've learned something from it. Yeah. They're learning a little bit about entrepreneurship and I feel really authentic. So it makes me I, happy. I love this story. I, I really love this story. <laughs> and you know, the links will be in the show notes and in the description. So 
if you're listening in, check it out. And I want you to watch the video because it's just such a well done video telling the story about, you know, the inspiration behind it and all of that. Really cool. Done really well. But what really connects with me or what makes it so special for me is just that what a cool thing to do with your family. What a cool way to align some things that matter to you and something that feels so you and so all of you, like your family and saying, well, let's turn it into something and, and let's just put it out there and, and, you know, just to see what happens and let's learn and, and yeah. let's use it <laughs> because we've been doing yeah. it anyway. So let's continue using right. it. But now we have an actual product that we can use. So we've solved our own problem at the very least. If nothing else, we solved our problem and now we have a place to organize all of this and branded by us. But it's such a cool way to bring the family together. Because when I think about my own family and now our growing family, I like you, I have these visions of these moments that I want with my daughter. You know, I, I have a vision of her being coming t- with me to my speaking engagements. So yeah. I see travel still being part of my life, but I see her joining me on that travel and solving that problem. I'll apply my logical brain to figure out how do I work this out with the school one day or whatever. But right now I don't have that problem until she's, you know, five or whenever she goes to school. I don't have to worry about that. My logical brain will take care of that then. But right now I have this vision and I really want to do those kinds of things and have these kind of moments with her. So I'm always thinking like, all right, so that it's like my, my North star or the thing I'm focused on. So how do I design for that? How do I create those opportunities? And you know what? It has a lot to do with then the kinds of clients I work with, you know, making sure that they know that I'm a family person, making sure that they see that side of me so that when I do bring her one day, they're like, oh my God, of course she can come up. And yeah, you know, like we want to see her. We all want to meet her. I'm like, great. Because that for me is super important. (laughs) While this is work, and I know obviously I have something here to do that I've been contracted to do. This is a big part of my life and a part of who I am. So I want to share this with even the folks I'm working with, my clients or whatever it might be. I finished an event just the other day uh, with the Orlando Magic. And at the end of the event, you know, they booked some suites for us to go and watch the game. And so I asked, like, you know, is it cool if my wife comes with our baby? And the Orlando Magic folks were like, absolutely. Like, uh, just tell us, like, give me her email address and I'll send her tickets and all of that. And, you know, and and they came and, and they loved meeting her and she had such a cool experience and it was just cool for everybody. And so that's like the thing that I envision. And so I think to myself, I wonder what that could look like too, if we were doing all of this together. What if one day Sophia becomes a part of this? Like, what could that look right. like, you know? And so then I see your, I read your story. I watch your video and, and, you know, learn about the story behind Quotebook. And I think, wow, there it is. Like, that's an example of aligning all of these things and creating a special opportunity. So thank you for, for doing it, for putting it out there, for sharing that story. And of course, you know, for the forthcoming Quotebook that is arriving. We were just in Orlando and we also spent some time with family there. And one of the things that happened there, we thought right away, oh, that would go in the quote book. (laughs) Like that would have to go in the quote book. And we were already thinking in terms of like a moment that needs to go in there. So super excited to get to that. Mike, thank you so much for sharing not just the stories, but also helping us like pick apart the insights, the strategies, the practices, the things that people can do to actually start putting all of this into practice. And I love the way you do it because it's, you know, all the things you shared are so actionable right now. They're not, I don't want to use the word easy, but they're doable. They're very doable. These are things that you can at least give it the benefit of the doubt if you're listening in and just run the thought exercise at the very least. 
and see where it lands you. A lot of these things you can run through a, you can put through a thought exercise and just to see how it goes. And no doubt you'll see like, oh, this just opened up some new possibilities. And that's what I love about a lot of the things you shared with us today. Anything you want to leave the audience with before we wrap up? Yeah, there's a million things. I feel like you and I could talk for you know hours and hours and hours. I guess I would just build on what you said. It's not easy. It's not quick, but it's worth it. You will go through pain in this process because you'll doubt yourself and you won't be able to imagine some of the possibilities and all of that kind of stuff. But you're trading that pain of not knowing and getting more comfortable. That's growth and that's worth it. And it's a good trade for whatever pain that you're going through you know, now in your current situation. So I would say you're among an elite group who take this on and, and don't trivialize that. If you need help, get help. Roger is a great person, you know, to have guidance from through this. Everybody needs a, an exploration guide, a wayfinder, you know, so it's worth it. And just think about the person that you can be not only at work, but with your family or with friends or whoever you want to be. That's all part of this. It's not just about work. It's about transforming yourself into the person that you want to be. And it's doable. Absolutely. Well, for everyone listening, if you've made it this far, I'm so glad. No doubt you're like loving it too. And (laughs) I want you to check out the description, the notes, the links. There are a lot of things going on. There's the Career Cloud website. There's the podcast. Mike has a lot of things going on. There's a community. There's a membership community so that you're not alone as you're going through this journey. There's a lot of great articles and content to help you start building this mindset of going from uncertain to unbreakable. And and it's not a one-time thing. It's not a one-effort thing. And it just, ah, I'm unbreakable. No, it takes time. Like You really have to make some changes. And there's a lot of great content around that. And of course, there is the quote book. So whether you know you're with your spouse or with spouse and kids or with a you know a partner of some kind friends whatever it is cool 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 story behind this thing check out those videos as well thank you again mike really appreciate everything thanks roger great to talk to you as always Thank you for listening to this episode of the School of Reinvention podcast. Again, I'm your host, Roger Osorio. If you're ready to start your journey to reinvention and want to walk the path with others, visit www.rogerosorio.com and go to the School of Reinvention to check out for yourself how a community-based coaching platform can help you begin your next reinvention. You can also go to rogerosorio.com to purchase my new book, The Journey to Reinvention, and receive some exciting bonuses. Until next time, make your day great.